0: Today on the show, he makes records, he writes books, he's the king of the rabbit. Mr. Andrew Peterson is finally on the podcast, as is evidenced in episode 61 of Who Writes This Stuff. Hello and welcome to Who Writes This Stuff. My name is Nick Flora. I'm coming to you from my house in Nashville, Tennessee. It's a beautiful, overcast December day. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Um, for those of you, I, I know because Andrew Peterson's on the podcast, a few, you might be listening in who have never listened before. Uh, and it is a, basically a free form conversation with, uh, creative people, songwriters, actors, comedians, etc. Uh, if you want to go back and listen to the last, uh, 60 episodes, uh, go ahead and do so before, you know, for just for continuity, you listen to the last 60, then come in and listen to this one and you'll be re- caught up. Uh, as far as you know the timeline and the different characters and plot points blah 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 it gets really messy so I would recommend doing that first um but now okay I'm assuming that you have listened and now you've unpaused this and you're now listening to this one doesn't it all make sense why my voice is this way right because at the beginning I sounded like a woman okay uh <laughs> you guys it is December. Which is insane, um, and I know I sound a little Andy Rooney ish, uh, with I can't believe it's already December. Okay, so uh, but this month is uh is a really fun one, uh, for me because I've been working the last couple months writing and working on uh, some Christmas songs, and uh, Stacey uh, Lance and I have been doing these uh, Christmas shows. Well, we've only done one in North Carolina this past weekend, which was really fun, really fun, and it's one of those situations where you know, you can play your own music and practice your own stuff for years and you kind of know what's going to happen. And then when you throw the book out and then kind of start over with songs that you sort of know or feel like maybe, you know, really well, um, like Christmas songs or what. you know, um, it, it gets a little bit daunting. It gets a little bit like, you know, there's all of a sudden this sort of added pressure, um, that maybe it won't work out well or people you know, don't love Christmas music as much as you think they might. But uh, so far, so good. You know, we're playing three uh, shows this month. One, like I said, in North Carolina this past weekend was, if they're all like that, then, you know, holy crap, uh, super fun. So in this weekend, if you're listening to this, the week it comes out, um, uh, the 12th and the 13th, respectively, playing a house show in Edmond, Oklahoma, that is free to the public. Um, if you would like to come to that, uh, email house show at Nick and get info and address and times and all that. And then, uh, Saturday the 13th, it's, uh, we're playing at Muggs cafe in Little Rock, Arkansas, North Little Rock, actually. Um, really great establishment. Super excited to play there and, um, uh, man, come out to shows people. Uh, this one especially is really fun. I wrote a couple of originals, uh, so is Stacy, and we're playing a bunch of, sort of taking our take on a bunch of classic Christmas songs, and uh, it's really fun. And we're going to do a stage at show, maybe concert window, one of those online shows uh, on the 18th. So uh, go to nickflora.com, or uh, I guess I'll post something. You can, you can look at, at, at Nick Flora on Twitter if you want to uh, know when and where and the link to all that stuff. If you can't make it to a show, please at least check into the online one super fun um, okay before we start the show as always or as a <laughs> as of late uh, I'm going to share with you what I learned this week
1: what I
0: learned this week what you learned okay so because I was with Miss Stacy Lance this weekend and we talked a lot uh, back and forth um, in the car uh, we talked we love documentaries um, as do all cool people right <laughs> isn't it funny how documentaries used to be like the nerdiest? PBS like you're watching like a, a f- just a slew of ants go in and out of an anthill and it's like you know the most boring thing and then now it's just, maybe documentaries have gotten better <laughs> or a little bit more savvy uh, but man I love documentaries and Netflix has just opened up a whole new world for that but um, uh, Stacy was telling me about this documentary called Alive Inside and researchers dis- researchers discovered patterns in the sound of a baby's cry that reflect their mother's speech. So that even before born, we are learning to sing with another human being. Isn't that amazing? I'm gonna say that again. Researchers discovered patterns in the sound of a baby's cry that reflect their mother's speech. So babies cry the same way their mothers speak, because that's their they're learning, you know, and they're hearing it from in, in the womb. That's insane and just incredible. And uh, I love stuff like that. So that is what I learned this week. What I learned this week. What you learned. If you want to share with me and the listeners what you learned this week, uh, whether it's short, silly or serious, you can email who writes this stuff podcast at gmail dot com or tweet at who writes pod. Also, Facebook page. You can write it on the wall and uh, and I'll share it with you guys, uh, the listeners. So I, I love this stuff. I love figuring out, you know, as I get older that I don't have it all figured out. I'm actually continually learning things um who knew okay so as as i mentioned twice now this week's guest is andrew peterson uh i've known andrew preferably for years and uh you know we we run in the same circles uh i hadn't really talked you know longer than five minutes to him uh until recently we played a show together uh this fall here in town and it was really fun, and uh, we got to know him a little bit better. And I was like, I have to get this guy on the show. And he's been one of the most requested guests probably in the history of the show. Uh, it's a little ridiculous it's taken me this long to have him on. Um, you know, and I'm always fascinated when I have sort of my own perception or idea of somebody. You know, you see him in public and you see him interact with people, you see him online, whatever. And then you actually sit down and have a conversation with him. Uh, and it's interesting how much that. Changes, you know, or it gets enhanced, so you get a perception, and it's usually for the better, and that's definitely the case here. Um, Andrew Peterson is a delight. He's a great guy. He's a, he's a great writer, really interesting conversationalist, and um, I think you're really gonna enjoy it. So here it is, my chat with Andrew Peterson. I I enjoyed both. The poster and the movie. Yeah, I was uh, going to
2: show you the, the vinyl. Did you see by chance? You probably don't follow me on anything, but like. No, I do. Yesterday, the vinyl I found.
0: The oh my the gosh, Calvin Stufflebeam. Stufflebeam, Calvin Stufflebeam. How awesome Songs is that? of the Spirit. Like the picture was like okay, I've seen those, but sure. Calvin
2: Stufflebeam is a is a is a treasure.
0: Yeah, I wonder what Calvin's doing now. Is he still alive? You think? Should we look them up? Are we recording this? Yeah, we're bringing on. Are we really recording it? Yeah, I just kicked
2: it on. Oh, I Calvin Stufflebeam. Well, uh, if there are any Stufflebeams related to Calvin, then
0: don't judge me. There's got to be, okay. This is the day and age we live in, and I used to ban the internet from these podcasts because it's more fun to just wonder about things. But now I need to know how many Stufflebeams there are on Facebook. <laughs> Isn't that a, it's yeah, a, ama- I yeah. I think about this from time to time because Nashville's a, a great place. Uh, you know, people have been coming here for who knows how long to pursue music in the industry form mm-hmm. and probably longer for that. It just, you know, it had to come from somewhere. So I always wonder how many people came here, made her, you know, you see these records in thrift shops and stuff. And especially when you travel like, man, the day that that record was released, that guy was so excited. Or that man, he band, was so happy. Yeah, or yeah. these guys, you know, you see these sort of like, especially the gospel, Right, crowd, you know, like you see, like the gospel family, like they, there was a party. Every every record resembles a a party yeah. or a celebration at some point in history, and it, and it represents a whole lot of like hope that it's gonna like do something crazy. Yes, like this could be it. Because yeah. I I know there's even if it's secretly or not so secretly, every time I put something out, I'm like, oh, I wonder if there's a song in here that's gonna go further than right, I ever right. dreamed for it. You yeah. know, you always hope, hope those I always wonder that, like when whenever. Uh, I'm
2: trying to think of a a significant record, but like uh, Graceland or Mm -hmm. like, did they have a sense while they were making that record that it was going to be like one of the great records? Right, You know what I mean? Yeah. And I've, I met a few people who have made like really lasting records and asked them like, and the answer is no. Well, I could ask you you that. I mean,
0: you've definitely on that. I mean, you know, of course, Paul Simon has sort of been a different camp than, than you or I, but like, there is definitely... Like, you've had records that have gone, you know, especially that Christmas record, you know, that you've toured on now mm. for so long. I mean, that that thing has has literally, I mean, you, do you even feel attached to it anymore? Or is there a thing where, like, this is just its own thing? Cause it is its you- own thing, yeah. It's in a, in a really healthy way. Like, I haven't pushed it away from,
2: from me. Mm. Um, I love it. But it is very different from what I do the rest of the year. Right. And I like it that way. I like keeping it making it its own thing. But yeah, I think it's funny Ben Shive um, Ben My was there for uh, yeah, your your evil <laughs> twin. Uh, ben was there almost from the beginning. Like I guess he and I started playing together right around the second year that we'd done that tour. So Ben was a part of like the the kind of the finishing some of those songs and he right. and Andrew Osenga produced that record okay. together. And um and anyway, so I remember on one of the tours Sarah Groves came on tour uh with us and early on she kind of we we were eating lunch and you know eating our our uh deli sandwiches and she was like so tell me about like this record like whenever you guys were writing these songs or making this album like it must have been very special and I honestly Ben and I looked at each other and just had total blanks like I was like really? I really don't really remember much about it like it just felt like it was just as routine as right. any other thing you ever did. Like, and I kind of feel like that it—that's a gift from God that I—I I can't say, oh, I just remember how hard I worked mm-hmm.
1: and how inspired I was. <laughs> uh, so right. that I—I
2: I can't really take much credit for whatever good happened there. It just felt, felt like we were just a bunch of farmers. A whole yeah. rows. you know what I mean? So it's
0: true. I, mean, I feel like it's, it is such an interesting thing, but the, that people in the interst- entertainment industry, specifically musicians are like sort of heralded and celebrated for their work and sort of seen as these like secret geniuses or not. So, you know, and, and like, like you said, farmers, like they just go and do their work and they're literally, you know, that, you know, you can make that argument for anybody. You know, yeah. the, anybody that goes to work and and does good and then puts food on their their table. You know, for their family. Yeah, and, there's
2: no real mystery to it.
0: No, it was like, and, and it is so yeah. often. I had a discussion recently with somebody who who just was so baffled by the idea that you could like think of an idea and make a song out of it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I and I hadn't thought of it in the terms that that they were sort of putting to me. But I was just like, No, well, there. You just do it so much you don't think about it. It's just. Mm-hmm. You know, it is a puzzle piece that, that you're constantly having to put together and stuff, but you just do it so many times that it just becomes not routine and, in and, and a in a negative pejorative sort of way, but routine right. and, and like, you know, you've got your, your muscle is, is built up and strong. And so yeah. you, you don't think yeah. like, okay, guys, today we're making magic, you know?
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: But it's, it's just, a it's, it's chords and. It's yeah. work. That's what it is. Right. It just feels like, oh yeah, this is just the kind of work that. And you want. I wish that it was not that way. Like, do you remember when you first started writing songs? Do you remember, like, the one that you wrote where you were like, oh, yeah, that's kind of how this works. Yeah. The light bulb going on, in you.
0: And and well, the, I wish now I was like, well, those songs aren't the like good or playable at all. But there was like, you, you can sort of see the impetus of like the light bulb going, or the you know like mm-hmm. oh he, oh. That's good. He's gonna uh, he's gonna get better, you know. Or I even hear people now where I'm like, oh, they're starting out. I'm like, oh, there is something there. And if and yeah, I always, right. and when when you know young artists or whatever, I've been doing it long enough to where like people you know young artists come up and they're like, will you listen to my songs or you know what do you think of this? And and I, I always say, just keep going, especially if I see something there. I'm like, this is gonna get like right, you know, better and better. Yeah. So in anybody that it has the the knack for it, I, that's like the number one. I'm like, well, just keep doing it. Yeah, because just keep doing it. It's gonna time. grow and. Yep. Well, I, I, uh, I do. Do you have? Did you have that sort of I, moment or Like I had,
2: I had co-written some songs with, and I use that term loosely. Like there was <laughs> a, another guy that I went to college with that was, uh, had written really good songs even in high school, and and then he and I ended up going to college together. So I would sit next to him in class. Uh, passing you know slipping lyrics back and forth you know oh really so the like professor notes wouldn't see us <laughs> yeah and like really because we were in the same band together and we were trying to like hone in on some of these songs so I watched his process you know mm-hmm. I watched the way he would write you know uh, an alternate word above the line and scribble out the one below it once he decided that that was the one to go with and mm-hmm. like and kind of the the process I love looking back at old journals and looking at how well, you can read how a song started, and then I always write the lyric, the complete lyric, after that. So oh, in my you? journal, you can ten pages ahead, you can see all the scratches and all the right the the mess that comes f- and, p- and prayers. It's like math you know, like, like you're God, figuring God, out the work. Please help me find this stupid you, song. Oh wow, yeah, uh, or uh, whatever. You know, there's this, this fascinating process which you don't get. Like there for a, a season, I I tried to write on my computer. I would kind of keep my notes on my computer and work on it on the plane. Sure. Um, but I, I've i stopped doing that because I think really? that it's... Uh, it, there should be a trail, a paper trail, you know? Yeah, because, the, like, the paper trail to me is, la- is like a way of... Well, for example, this year with this the the record that came out this week, mm-hmm. um, I wanted to write a few new songs to put on it, but I'm way out of the saddle. Like, I, I had been working on a book, and I don't write constantly, you know... And so it would—it had been a year, maybe a year and a half since I'd actually written a song. Mm. And so, man, I just felt so rusty, and I had no idea, and I had all this fear going into it. I always carry a lot of fear into the process. Like the, man, it was the last song I wrote, the last one. Isn't I'm gonna that write, funny? You know, yeah, it's scary. But but then the paper trail is evident. Like you go when I opened my notebook to start writing this new song, I had like all the scribbles from the Light for the Lost Boy songs in there before mm-hmm. it, and I was kind of going. Oh, that's right. This is how it works. It works with me starting with uh, a journal, usually some kind of like just f- um, free association writing. Like, okay, this is where I am right now. I'm trying to find a song. Where is the stupid song? And then, <laughs> and then some phrase that'll get you started. And then, a lot of, I mean, a lot of times there are prayers, and that's a that's a. Uh, I read a rabbit room post by a lady named uh, Lanier Ivester who who was talking about Bach and how a lot of people uh, n- know that at the end of his original manuscripts, he would write um, he would write Soli Deo Gloria at the bottom, mm. or SDG. And, and, but what most people don't realize is that at the beginning of all of his manuscripts, he wrote Jesu Juva, J- J-E-S-U-J-U-V-A, which means Jesus help. Oh, wow. And then there was this, you know, he would write the his The the song. And then at the end he would say... In that's amazing, isn't that beautiful? Wow! And so I, I I started writing that at the beginning of my whenever I would get stuck, I would stop and go, "Oh yeah, that's right." Um, there is a source of all goodness and beauty and creativity, and I and I have ac- I can ask him for help anytime I want. You have access to that, yeah. And that yeah. amazing. So I so yeah, you can kind of read the 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 go back and look at the the crumbs that led to the song. And to me, those are all not just a reminder of the work that it takes to write a song, but it's also um, it's kind of like okay this has happened before and it can happen again you know what I mean it's evidence that you can because you you start from scratch as a songwriter every time you you start to write a song you kind of are bringing more or less the same tools to the table that you were bringing 10 years ago only now you've got 10 years of evidence that that yeah that this has worked before and it just might work again
1: After all these years I would have thought That all my fears Were laid to rest But I still get scared And I thought That all my struggles Would be victories by now But I confess That the mess is there But oh I know the work That you began Is coming to an end Someday After all these years After all this time I thought the rhythms and the rhymes would come so easy But it's still so hard It's the same twelve notes, six strings And a million little mysteries In one broken heart But oh, there is an everlasting song I'm gonna sing along someday Cause you never let go Never let go, you led me by the hand into a land of green and gold. And you never let go, you never let go. Your love endures forever, wherever I go, after all these years. That's all
0: that I know. Ever go back and listen to your records when you're when you need to write a new one to say like just to remind yourself that you did it. there was I I found myself doing that where it's like no this ended up well and and just to remind almost to remind you how you write because a lot of times especially I'm also out of the saddle and trying to ride again Uh and I'm like maybe I don't know how to do this and then I just I sort of just to remind myself before a few shows last month I just listened to a few songs Mm -hmm. to be like oh yeah that could work and I was like oh no it was a good reminder also that you know there's precedent like i did this and yeah. and i remember distinctly before each one of these songs was written that i thought that i lost it that yeah. i wasn't going to be able to do it again totally so it's yeah. a, it's a reminder isn't it funny with even though you have and you have 10 years of stuff or long, is it is it longer than that i don't know it's longer than it's that. longer than that yeah. okay uh but will well, you just have this compilation just release or whatever uh-huh. uh i mean and you literally had to put that together and, and, and it's so funny even at, even yeah. after that to be like i don't know if i can yeah, I, don't I don't know if do I, do I know this. how to song write yeah
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which hopefully is comforting to, to whoever is listening to this. Like, like there is no secret. You, you just got to do the work. I've, I've, uh, I feel like there's a, uh, there's a moment, like an afterglow, that happens after you've written a song and you kind of play it through for the first time and you know, you know you're pretty much done with it. Like, you'll tweak mm-hmm. it, you know, whatever. Of but like, you're like, there's a song and I don't hate it and I'm actually moved by whatever just happened. And I feel like there's this veil that lifts and you can see like this shining, the nuts and bolts behind how creativity works, like wheels within wheels. And it's like, this thrilling feeling of like, oh, that's how you write a song. And then Mm. it slams shut and you're cut off from it again until the next time you finish (laughs) a song. (laughs) So that when you go, you're just kind of constantly going like, how does this work? I have no idea how this works. All I know is you just have to. Work the soil You yeah. just have to get out and, and do the thing I've tried
0: to so, remind myself of that as I'm writing I'm in the middle of writing songs now and I'll work like yesterday I worked all day. I didn't really make any headway on it. Uh-huh. But like reminded myself that those days it's like jogging, you know, it's training for a marathon. It's like jogging. Like when you're training for a marathon, you'll run multiple marathons essentially. Right. You know, so it's sort of reminding myself that like that day has its merit as well because uh-huh. I clearly was working out cobwebs in my brain. Right. So maybe the next time I went and approached the song, I would I would my starting place would be a little bit closer, you know. And it took years to get to the place where I, I, I wasn't just beating myself up. I was just like, no, this also has its place in the process as well. Yeah, <laughs> And it, it does my heart good to hear people. And one of the reasons I started this podcast is to hear other songwriters like yourself say like, oh, no, I do that too. And that that just sort of makes the fact that we're all on even playing field and nobody, unless you just, the, the only person that has sort of the upper hand is the person that just does does the work, you know, like you just said, like. And that could be you know somebody sitting in their bedroom you know in New Hampshire, or it could be you know Jack White. It doesn't matter. It's right. whoever does the work constantly and is going to get there faster.
2: Yeah, my uh, it's a great a great little anecdote that uh, illustrates that. I think it was my brother is a an author and a um, mm-hmm. really really good writer, and he he decided uh, like two years ago to write. A, he made a New Year's resolution to write a poem a day for that year, and he's not. He, he hadn't written much poetry, so it was his, his hmm. impetus to kind of, like, learn how poems work. So he was going to write a poem a day. He bought this cool leather-bound journal and and did it. Like, he's the kind of guy who actually does these kinds of yeah, things. Yeah, he is, yeah. And, and on in the summer, he went to the beach on vacation with his wife and lost the the leather oh button. no and at that point it had like 150 <laughs> oh, poems in it right and i was just heartbroken for him i was just like oh no like what are you gonna do and he, and yeah. he literally shrugged and said ah, it doesn't really matter they were all garbage the work was the point wow and which i couldn't imagine i wonder I how quickly like, <laughs> lost sleep over having lost i wonder how going. quickly he, he came to that yeah i don't that. know he's weird <laughs> enough to where he might have come really quickly immediately but it was inspiring to me to go oh that's
0: right the work is the point like all that right. stuff
2: is getting you to the thing that you're really trying to do yeah
0: i mean i think about that because i all i've had you know all these songwriting demos and stuff that i've recorded on my phone and so just when i'm dra- traveling or whatever i'll just record little snippets of stuff and i've had a, my, my phone crash oh yeah And i lost it all and this is pre iCloud and all the backup stuff and i and i remember thinking that and then i heard almost immediately after that it's so funny how this happens i heard somebody speak in an interview and say you know because i thought like oh there was all that this you know all this stuff this is just i was mourning the loss of like the beginnings of great songs in my mind you know Uh and i was and i heard somebody say uh you know it's not it's not what you've written it's the mind that wrote it that Hmm. the people are going to be interested in and if you can do it once you can do it again and, yeah. I, and I've, you know, how many times have we as songwriters had ideas, had a melody, had the, that foregone, that thought that we all have, we're like, I'll remember this. It's so catchy. And then we take a nap, we go to the grocery store yeah. and it's gone. Cause we don't write it down. We don't record yeah. it. And, and then we still manage somehow. We still keep yeah. going, <laughs> but there is that thought. Think like, about oh. how many
2: little ideas, like, have you gone back and, and f- stumbled on one that you'd forgotten about? Yeah. And oh. then that ends up opening the door to like the thing you needed right It's now. almost like yeah.
0: it, in my friend, you know, Arthur Alligator. we yeah. talk about it all the time. Like the song gets there before you do. It's like, Oh, past me was really smart that he knew <laughs> that future or present me would need this today. Right. And right. you know, need this bump. when I'm like, I don't even know what to write about. And going through those old notes or like looking yeah. through an old journal. I and mean, being like, Oh wow, this is profound. I didn't even know it. Or this is like yep. re- resonating with me today, probably more than it did then. That happened to me with um, the song on,
2: my last record called you'll find your way which i wrote for my little boy um and uh the chorus of the song is is taken from this uh jeremiah chapter 6 which was this verse that i stumbled on in bible college in <laughs> 1995 i took a class on jeremiah and and i there the verse says um you know go back to the ancient paths whatever I forget exactly how it puts it, but, uh, but it talks about um, the ancient paths being where the good way is, and walking in it, and you'll find rest for your souls. And I remember in my old uh, college Bible, writing in the margin, I found it. Uh, well, that's part of the story. Is I wrote, keep to the old roads, and circled it, oh. and wrote Jeremiah 616. And I thought, "Oh, there's a song there about 20 years ago. <laughs> and and work on it at different times. You know, every time I'd get get a rec- start working on a record, I'd look back through notes and go, "Okay, is there a song in here that I can can kind of kick me off?" And I'd tried to write that song before and tried to write it before. And fast forward again, almost twenty years until my middle son is turning thirteen. Wow! And uh, and I'm kind of overcome with this um, this kind of pain that I'm watching him grow into a young man and all the junk yeah. that comes with that and, uh, and I was happened to be flipping through old songs and I saw Keep to the Older as I was like oh that's what this song was supposed to be about that's such a great about. line too yeah well it was very evocative to me but I, until I was able to apply it to a little boy uh, entering adolescence it didn't it didn't
1: ever go anywhere when I look at you boy I can see the road that lies ahead I can see the love and the sorrow Bright fields of joy Dark nights awake in a stormy bed I want to go with you But I can't follow So keep to the old
0: I feel I remember even before I was a writer before I did anything like that I would sort of be attached I would write down little phrases or little things that I didn't even really fully understand but I, but resonated me in some way and it's almost like oh one day I think I will understand this or one day when like it's exactly what you said like when applied to in a certain way you know or in a certain time of my life this will be profound yeah and I feel like it's the same way with um you know with I love going back and 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 reading, you know, old books or like going and looking at movies that I maybe didn't understand. I'm a big film buff, So like any sort of like older film as a kid or a teenager or early twenties, right? I'm just like, I don't really get this watching it as an older man or, you know, I've tweeted this the other day, but the, I feel like the older I get, the more I understand Paul Simon, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like, Oh no, this is, you know, I remember being a kid and just sort of being like, what's the big deal. This is like yeah. some hippie dude. I don't understand. And like that, I feel like I've resonated so strongly with his, you know, I'm I'm sort of patterning his journey. Like, I'm really into the stuff that he wrote when he was, you know, in his early to mid 30s. Right now, you know, <laughs> but but even yeah. listening to his like later stuff, I'm just like, it's it's sort of like he has also left a trail for me. Yeah, right. it's so exciting to know that I have that he's kept doing it, uh-huh. and that I have all these years of Paul Simon records to really dive into and and uh, you know get all the meat off the bone. Kind Man, of, I
2: think that's so true. There's a George McDonald quote where he was talking he was talking about the parables, and he said that. Uh, that the parables are like streams that flow across the path that you can't drink from until you get to that part in the journey. Mm. Because you know, there have been a lot of times when you'll read something, or books or music like you're talking about, and you're like, I know there's something here, but I just don't get it. You just haven't gotten to that part of the path. Yet. Yeah. And when you get to it, you'll be able to drink deeply of of this thing. So that's encouraging. It's exciting to me, because there, you know, there've been a, there was a season where I hated Bob Dylan. I didn't understand why people liked Bob Dylan, and mm-hmm. I just... I decided to kind of just do the work. I went hiking on it. If you want to stick to the analogy, I was like, I'm going to keep walking until I find the, the spring. <laughs> and man, it was like a, a yeah, whitewater rapids when I got to it. I just fell in love with it. Um, it just took a lot of work to
0: get there. I was telling somebody the other day, it, the older I get, the more I, I had this like really narrow and, and sort of thoughtless view of getting old when I was in my 20s. And I was so scared of getting older. Now I embrace it and kind of love it. But like I was... I remember being in my 20s and thinking like you're just going to hit a stride and hit a sweet spot and everything's going to be boring and then life's going to be over. You know, it's like <laughs> sort of this 20-year-old um, narrow view yeah, right. and not realizing that every year and every just every season of life is just going to unearth all of these things even in my own mind. Right? You know, especially being an artistic person like we are, we we tend to sort of always have our have our feelers open to what's around us and the things that are around us and we're sort of more open to those things than than uh-huh. Somebody that isn't, I guess, but and I didn't even factor in that, that I, you know, or, or like the Paul Simon or just understanding things that more deeply drinking mm-hmm. from that well at, a, you know, and, and almost being overwhelmed by how much I understand something, hmm. but I had to go. You have to do the work. You have to live the time yeah. to get to that point. Right. Yeah. So are you, are you finding that you're, are you, you're getting okay with getting older, like as a, as a man, as an artist and <laughs> all that stuff? I am, yeah, yeah,
2: I've never been terribly afraid of it. I like most most things about it. But there's a lot of weird junk that happens in your heart that, you know, when I heard people talk about um, midlife crises, Mm -hmm. I was always just like, what is the big deal? Kind of like hair, okay? So yeah. I, I used to be mystified by people caring that they were losing their hair. Right. I was like, just shave it whenever, it, just <laughs> like, what's the big deal? But now that I, you know, about a year ago, I went to go get a haircut, and the lady was like, yeah, getting a little thin up there. And I was kind of like, I hey, know, right? It's getting thin. <laughs> you see that so, too? <laughs> and like really, it, it does. it's surprising how much those things like affect you in a way that you just can't understand when you're younger. And so the same thing was true of the, the midlife thing, like having just turned 40. Uh, I didn't realize, I mean, you know, it's not about the number necessarily, but there is something that happens. Uh, maybe it's when your kids reach a certain age or you, your career reaches a certain place where you start looking around and taking stock, um, which is a very natural thing. Um, and so, yeah, it's, I, I'm making my peace with it, but my main thing is that I'm, I have, I feel like I'm walking around with a question mark floating over my head Mm. and I'm looking around every corner to go. Like, what is next? What am I supposed to do next, you know? Not like I'll, I'll quit music. I, I, it's hard to imagine not playing music, but there there is this sense of something coming, um, and I don't know what it is yet, whether it's... And that's why people go out and buy the convertible Corvette. You know, right. It's kind of like, there's something out there, and I don't know what it is yet, and, and uh, maybe this is the thing, and you try it. So I've thought about going back to school. Um, I've thought about, you know, like I so enjoyed the book writing process, um, that if I could stop touring right now and just spend a few years r- working on a couple books, I would jump at the chance because I get I get to be home, yeah, and a part of my community and like the the processes. It's it's uh, scratches the same creative itch, but I'm not constantly going. I wish I could sing better,
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, or yeah.
2: or struggling with like the the real time, the the energy, the emotional energy it takes to do a show. With a book you're in you're at Starbucks for four hours a day. Yeah. And it's not until the end it is it's more of like a long drawn out energy instead of like this flash in the fan kind yeah. of thing that happens. Is
0: is writing the writing the book writing process is there less insecurities involved than, than being the the singer, songwriter, performer, or does it just manifest itself in yeah odd I th- ways? Yeah, I
2: think there are probably just as many insecurities, but there's you you have a little more control um, over like okay, so it's probably different for you because like you've got a good singing voice, you know. Oh well, you, you do. I mean, you you you've got a, the cool raspy thing which I've always wanted. Um, but no, the uh, I like I'm, I have no delusion of of being some great singer. Like people don't come to my shows because Andrew's got such a great voice. Well, I would I'm contest that, a, but keep going. Such a great guitar player. Like the one thing that I I that I really have control over as an artist is the lyric and the craft mm. of the song. That's a, so so there are times when I've thought if I could sing really well I could make this line sound great even yeah. if it wasn't a great line. I know exactly you know what, what I mean? you mean. Yep. But I I can't lean on that. So what I've got to do is like hunker down and make sure that it the phrasing is right and whatever. That's that's the one thing that I can kind of work at. And so it's a gift. It's like I I feel like not being a great singer m- made me a better songwriter because I had to focus on the song more. And so uh, with so, every time I perform, there's a lot of anxiety that goes into it. Like, I, I you know, my pitch isn't always great, and I'm always just kind of like fighting to hit the play the notes right on the guitar. And it's just, it's like when it's but, done, it's like, oh, man. Most of the time,
0: hard. that's just in your head, though. Like, that's just you thinking this. Everybody else is just enjoying it and letting the songs wash over them. Well, hopefully that's the case. I think so.
2: But yeah, but I get yeah, either whether that's true or not, I, you don't have to fight that battle when you're writing a book. Like when you're writing a book, you can yeah. sit there and write garbage but nobody knows it until you've written your third draft. Like nobody really reads it until you're kind of like you get oh. it as good as you can and then you're like, "Okay, here's the book." And then they tear it apart. And you <laughs> go back to square one. But it's like this very kind of methodical process right uh, with book writing that like by the time the book is finished, I'm like, "This is the very best I can do, whether they like it or not." And you send it out into the world. Mhm. And then you kind of go make a sandwich. <laughs> so that that process uh, is really fun to me. Like you know. So yeah. uh, anyway, I it's it's very different than this. Like I've got to find a way in three minutes to to move somebody or to tell a story or whatever. Yeah, it's, it's um, you have
0: a lot longer time. You can you can harp on details longer. Uh-huh. You can not so worry so much about. Oh, that's one beautiful thing that that I, I love about you know, the idea I haven't written a book, but the idea of writing that is you really get to sort of, you know, walk into the waves and sort of like let it wash over you a little bit longer than you would as a song. You know, there's been songs that I've written. I look back in the past. I'm like, man, I could have said that way shorter. It's all about Mm -hmm. getting, getting the message across, you know, in the shortest amount of time, but with the most punch. Right. And that's so, and sometimes I just want to, I want to repeat myself in in the second verse. Maybe I came up with a different way to say the thing I said in the first verse, Mm -hmm. but like that's, sometimes seen as like poor songwriting. <laughs> you know, like, well you already said that. Maybe say something else and uh oh uh-huh. uh, okay. But uh I, I can definitely see sort of especially if you're writing multiple books like you have you have multiple books that tell the same story or tell the continuing story. story, story right? Yes. You know, it's in, in that sort of Tolkien C. Like, S. Lewis esque thing. I don't
2: know I don't know exactly, but it makes me think of the uh the, the exodus from film writing to T V writing mm-hmm. that happened several years ago. Yes. Because the people who really cared about stories were the ones who wanted to like Spread out and like really develop a character over yeah. twenty four, twenty two episodes or whatever. Yeah.
0: Now we have like these, these like lost and these these shows yeah. that are, these really tell these really beautiful long right. stories that you couldn't do in a two hour film. Like
2: I remember uh, when Breaking Bad was over, there were all these film writer people who were like looking at what happened there and going, being really envious of the fact that, like, wow, that's how, I wish I could tell a story like that Mm. instead of having, but on the other hand, there's a really beautiful art form in, like, making a 90-minute story work. Um, So, yeah, it's just two two sides of the same coin, I think. Uh, Yeah.
0: um, I think it's a really special thing to be able, or a a specific sort of... um, muscle to be worked out to to be able to write like a film that makes you feel like you know the characters Mm -hmm. and you miss them immediately when they're gone and you've only known them for 90 minutes or you know two hours and because it's easier to sort of when you watch like something like Breaking Bad you've spent you know how many you know 12 hours a season (laughs) essentially with these characters and knowing them but to get that same sort of impact it's amazing that it can happen in 90 minutes it it sounds like magic now that I'm saying it out loud I'm like how do you even do that right like how Indiana do you make him relatable? There was
2: until the new lame movies. There was right. only what six hours of Indiana Jones yeah. that existed. But he feels like a, as real a it's character true. as anything in my imagination. Or even somebody
0: like I'll even go to further the Harrison Ford metaphor. I'll go to to Han Solo. Yeah. I is one of the like there there are a few different characters in in cinema that I I respond with and and one of the first was Han Solo uh-huh. and I remember. And he's he's the movie isn't even about him. Like there are chunks in the right. first movie where he disappears, and when he comes back, everybody cheers. But I think it's because people, you know, their characters in in literature, but especially, you know, somebody like a Hansel for me, uh, or Indiana Jones, or for me like a Ferris Bueller. Like these, mm-hmm. there's these characters that, like I feel like that are parts of us that we haven't awoken up to, you know, or we we haven't or we want to be. And maybe that's something. That's why superheroes are so interesting because it's like oh, there's something. Huh. In me, that feels like I could do that if given the chance. And so it's easier to, you know, we want to project ourselves onto these. Sorts Man, of...
2: I wanted to be Ferris Bueller so bad. I still
0: school. do. I just, <laughs> I
2: did it like in my senior year, I got to where I, and I can't believe I'm talking about this on a podcast. Yes, I love it. I had, you're I in had the right place for this. The, uh, what was it? Oh, the first, my first period class, some like the smart kids would be able to do like office help. During first period, so there would be like a girl who would go and collect all the absentee slips right. off the door. I remember for those kids. Class. Remember that? Yeah, I I befriended those kids so that I could skip my first period <laughs> class, and I would intercept them <laughs> before they got back to the office and scratch my name off the. That's the very Ferris Bueller ish. It was very, and that was inspired by it. like. So I was a rotten kid in high school, but like I remember whenever they would announce over the intercom, "Will the Beta Club please come to the library for the yearbook picture?" Mm-hmm. I would go whether I was in the club or not. Because I had friends in the club who would hide me, and yeah. I would just kind of like stand there. So I had this like running list of, of uh, clubs that I had my picture in that I wasn't actually in the club. That's so, so funny. So Ferris Bueller like like fired me up. And this is this was long before I realized how, um, how rotten I was. But yeah,
0: I, <laughs> I had... remember being a teenager and, and loving you know, and I was a teenager ten years after that movie was released and watching it and being. I think teenagers especially respond to that because. Nobody is that self-assured as a teenager. <laughs> like, right, he has right. this level of confidence that's like a 45-year-old like Sinatra has. Uh-huh, you know, he's right. just like, no, like he has. And, and he, he has, wasn't
2: some like studly looking
0: guy. He was just No, he was normal, just a normal kid. kind of lanky. He just had a quick wit, which I also was armed with. Like I, I wasn't an athlete. Uh-huh. I tried to be all these different things. I, I sort of found myself in all the different groups a little bit. Like I could sort of float around a little bit, mm-hmm. but I was a nerd at heart and I, and I, but I had the gift for gab. I could always speak if I needed to get my way out of a, or a sarcastic comment to get my way out of something. Right. And uh, not class that never worked really. But, uh, but as far as social groups are concerned. So I think that's, he resonated so strongly for me because I was just, oh. and I think a lot of these sort of heroes and, and, you know, in different types of art, like uh, resonate because we want to, I was like, Oh, if I could just be that person, Person or they—they're right. who we strive to be. So a ninety-minute experience with a care—a made-up character gave you a way to think
2: about yourself for like I, the oh, next however many years.
0: Yeah, and I there's a lot of things like that, and I, I can I can absolutely say Star Wars, Ferris Bueller, and Back to the Future were the three early on uh-huh. that made, I wasn't the same person after I got done watching it. Right. Cause it, it's opened my brain or these characters helped open, you know, <laughs> the doorways to ways to, that I, I hadn't even thought about. It
2: makes me wonder like what, what movies my kids would be talking about because they've seen versions of most of the right. movies that we're talking. I guess they haven't seen Ferris Bueller.
0: I hope they don't <laughs> for a long time. It's a little bit, I think I was, yeah, <laughs> my mom, Held that one off for a long time, yeah. I Even think. Back
2: to the Future was shockingly uh, risque. Like, there were moments yeah. in it, like when I watched it. We have a, a DVD player that, called the Clear Play Player. Sure, you sure. You can kind of tell it to, like, skip anything that's objective. You can kind of, like, rate how, right. how whatever. But, yeah, we were like, oh, Back to the Future. That's, we watched that a ton when we were kids. So we watched it. It was just <laughs> like, oh, my goodness, where's the remote?
1: <laughs> well, I was 19, you were 21. The year we got engaged and everyone said we were much too young but we did it anyway We got the rings for 40 each from a pawn shop down the road and We said our vows and took the leap now 15 years ago And we went dancing Than we dream, but I believe that's what the promise is for. Well, I do, are the two most famous last words the beginning of the end? But to lose your life for another, I've heard, is a good place to begin. Cause the only way to find your life.
2: One of the things about being a parent is curating your kids' art mm-hmm. experience. Getting to like, um, you know, we're like we have so much control. Like when we were kids, I, I remember when there weren't VHS tapes. Like I remember when Blockbuster, probably pre-Blockbuster, would rent the DV, the uh, the VHS player. We would have to go oh, rent the actual right, right. Mm-hmm. and plug it in with the UHF cable and stuff. Yep. And it was a big deal Like when we can now choose what movies we want to watch instead of the network dictating to us. That's um, so true. So it's kind of fun that like as a parent, I get to like go, whoa, there's some amazing films that have been made over the years, and I get to pick the ones my kids see first. Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing with music. Like When I realized that like I could expose my kids to great music um, early on, and I know because I was shaped by the stuff that I saw, like that these things are going to kind of help shape their heart oh, yeah. in a pretty cool way. So anyway, it's been really fun to to expose my movies a little bit at a time to my my movies, my, <laughs> my children to these, these movies that I love. And so for a long time, the boys will be like, hey, uh, we want to see this or that movie. And I'll be like, well, you probably need to be like 16 or 17 when you watch it. So we've been talking for years about renting a cabin with my brother and a few other dudes and watching like, we call them cabin movies, like, Aliens, for example. Yes, yes. <laughs> Movies like that. I, I kind of broke, and we watched uh, Braveheart last year for the first time. And uh, and Aiden was like, "But wait, this was a cabin movie." I was like, "I know, but, I know." But it's Easter. got to watch you... <laughs> it, you know. So anyway, but it's it's Easter. pretty fun. It, yeah, isn't that funny? We happened to watch it uh, uh, the week before uh, Passion Week. Yeah. And there's this, you know, there's a pretty obvious um, crucifixion metaphor right. in that film that like wrecked me on oh my Palm gosh. Sunday. Like we happened to be at church on Palm Sunday, the day after we had watched Braveheart for the first time. And I just wept and wept. So anyway, it's become our Easter tradition. We don't watch the passion. We watch Braveheart.
0: But yeah, like you said, like that's actually strangely appropriate yeah. in a lot of different ways. I was going to, I was, was going to yeah. ask you, you talk about being in, in high school. What kind of, I'm always fascinated what kind of a uh, kid you were or what kind of student huh. you were, all that stuff. Who is Andrew Peterson? In that early, yeah, like early years of uh, of, of you know, yeah, teenagehood, I
2: was, I was um kind of like the leader of the nerds. So it was okay. like I had, and that one of the the great regrets that I have is that like, and you may have experienced this, like when I go back to the town I grew up in, and go to my dad preaches in this little town still, and so a lot of the guys that I went to high school with, um, now attend church there with their families you know and some of these guys were the jocks or the football players mm-hmm. and they're the best guys like they're guys that i'm like when i see them i'm like we would have totally been friends if i hadn't had this goofy like oh yeah i can't stand the football players you know? right like, like yeah, i realized it was my heart that was keeping me from like uh getting to experience some real friendships because yeah. of the the weird uh cultural divide that was there uh, and so I regret a lot of this stuff, but like, yeah, when I was a kid, I just assumed that all the football players were enemies. Um, and so I would hang out with kind of the misfits, but then I was, I would, uh, you know, I was t- usually the ringleader of that group of people, um, or was one of the ringleaders. And so, yeah, I, I was a terrible student. I didn't get good grades except when I dated a girl who was really <laughs> smart and then she would make me do my homework. It's so, a win-win.
0: You get to hang out with a pretty girl. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. <laughs> and so, uh,
2: so yeah, there was a season where my grades were decent, but then when she broke up with me, they plummeted again. And mm. So I, I, you know, I I was relieved to have graduated high school, but the whole time I was in high school, like I really loved to read. Only it was never the stuff I was supposed to read, and I loved. What to, was it? Uh, like not the stuff that they assigned you. You mean the stuff? Right, right, right. Like what? Which is funny now because I. You know, I wish I could go back and retake those classes because they were great books that mm-hmm. I was being assigned. But I, I, had my nose in these really um, cheap fantasy novels, Dragonlance and Dungeons and Dragonsy stuff. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a dragon and a sword in, it, and I was totally your game. Uh, and there were some good ones, but I've gone back and tried to read some of that stuff, and it's terrible. Like it's the worst <laughs> written stuff ever. But it really did have a significant escape uh, element for me. Sure, sure. I, mean, I was in this little town, and then I was listening to. Pink Floyd and Leonard Skynyrd, and um, a lot of hair metal for a while, um, Tom Petty, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I was really into music, like Pink Floyd especially. There was one Pink Floyd record called A Momentary Lapse of Reason that had this, you know, most of their music has this kind of transportive vibe. And I would just—I mean, it just spoke to me deeply. It did did something to me. This kind of epic nature of you know, a lot of their albums were concept albums, so they right. had this kind of story arc that I was—I could never quite understand. I was <laughs> always trying to figure it out. And then—and uh, yeah, I was just rotten. Like I—I I, I mean, I was just really into girls and rock and roll, and yeah—and showed up at church like Eddie Haskell on Sunday mornings and could smile and. Act like I was a goody little boy, but I knew that my ways were evil. And Typical so,
0: Florida teen.
2: Yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I was just not good. I was, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. I, um, yeah, I was, I was a, a class clown, but I also spent most of my lunch breaks in the empty auditorium playing the piano. Oh. And I spent a lot of time alone. I bought, I bought a moped when I was fifteen because that was I could drive it legally. So I was the escape. only kid in town who had a moped, but I would spend hours r- driving the little scooter around all the dirt roads around our town, um, and just really treasured my alone time mm-hmm. because I, I I don't think I realized that I was praying or looking for some spiritual thing, but I think that's what I was doing. And then music, fine, and then you know music was an answer to that. But I wasn't sure. writing my own songs. I had no clue that I could one day do that because I couldn't sing. And um, so yeah, I was just this kind of lonely kid who put a class clown phase on it. Yeah, I think is the thing.
0: Would you um, consider yourself an introvert? Yes, very much. Isn't it interesting? I I just recently realized that I am too, mm-hmm. I, and I think I came to the realization because I am completely comfortable being alone for long stretches of time. Yeah. But it isn't interesting that introverts like us and a lot of our friends are too? We we our job is to put ourselves essentially in front of crowds of people. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, it's, it's I I love these dichotomies that we constantly find ourselves in. Yeah, in, I think in life. The, the signal to me
2: is that. Uh, when I'm standing on the stage there's like a structure to the situation mm-hmm. like I know exactly what I'm supposed to be doing good point while I'm yeah. doing this. and after the show if I'm talking to people after the show like I know my role I know why I'm here and like why they're here to a point and, and can do, but if I go to like a Christmas party yeah and it's a room full of people and I just kind of have am expected to mingle like I just want to cry oh and my gosh I go and find one friend and I hide in the corner and talk to that one person the yeah one. Um, and that that's real. kind of like you. I just realized this about myself. Like, this is why this exhausts me um, is because I'm I want I want aloneness. Yeah. Um, and I realized the last year, I think it was last year on tour, maybe the year before um, I would I as soon as the bus would roll into the, the venue, I would go inside and find somebody and introduce myself and say, can I borrow your car for about two hours? <laughs> and usually there would be somebody at the church who would wasn't completely weirded out by that. Sure. And I would give them a CD and say thank you, and then I would just disappear. And I would go find, I always go find a, a coffee house in a used bookstore, and I'll just spend two hours recharging. And then it's like, okay, now I can now I yeah. can handle what the rest of the day is going to Isn't that me. interesting? Yeah.
0: We have some, I'm going to wrap it up, but but I, have, I have asked Facebook for some questions for you. Yeah. And uh, there are a lot, oh, so boy. you you can answer them as as uh, involved as you would like. But uh, Eric Peters wants to know: Is it true that you physically beat? Eric Peters on the side of beat him up on the side of I-65. Yeah. Is that true? That actually is true.
2: <laughs> I, uh, we were driving home from a show and I wonder if it's more, more intriguing if I don't answer, don't tell the story. You just say just yes. Just let the audience. Wonder yes about. and no. Eric, uh, Eric and I, like, I, he's one of my favorite people in oh, the, in too, the yeah. world. me too. Yeah. I love that guy, but he can kind of get this Charlie Brown thing. Kind and, of Yeah And and so we were driving home from the show Where he had just killed it Like he'd mm-hmm. done such a great job And I was like Man you did great tonight And he was like Man I don't know I don't know if there's any I was like Man if you don't knock that off I'm gonna pull over this car And kick your tail And he was like Yeah whatever man I just don't And like I just gotta put the blinker on And uh <laughs> looking for the like the right place and he the this dawning realization that i wasn't joking kind of <laughs> was the funniest part because was like what are you doing what are you doing man and i pulled over the car and i walked around by the time i got to his side of the the car he was trying to lock the door uh-huh in. i got it before he unlocked it and i dragged him out of the car and i just kind of like laid on top of him and punched him in the arm <laughs> right and uh yeah he it made for a good story i guess that's a good but, yes friend. i did actually like him up on the that's side a good
0: friend that. that will follow through with physical <laughs> threats <laughs> oh sharon Hales fraser says so a long time ago i think i remember hearing uh or reading that you played the hammered dulcimer is that true and do you still play oh, wow uh hey
2: sharon <laughs> i know sharon she's awesome um I I did play for a short period of time, but it didn't take me long to realize that I don't have the rhythm that I need in order to be a decent hammer dulcimer player. Mm. And so, uh, yeah, so I really love the instrument, and I have one, uh, but I ended up letting Ben Shive borrow it, and he's
0: had because it he's place. a ninja, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and he can play anything, yeah,
2: right. And so that's the one that ended up getting getting used on a lot of the records. And Gabe Scott played, mm. and so that was when we toured together. And both of those guys are so good that. Like, again, it comes back to me kind of going, like, I know my gifts, and that's not one of them. And yeah. So, so uh, I kind of abandoned it.
0: Yeah, I definitely, like, have reached that point. I mean, I'm only 32, but there's points where I'm like, I don't think I'm ever going to be, like, a great this and this. But I know that I can, like, craft a witty lyric here, or I can, like, do this thing and this thing, and I'm going to, like, stick at making that the strongest. There's yeah. sort of... There's great growth in like knowledge and, and knowing your strengths and yeah. knowing where you aren't good, knowing yeah, your weaknesses right. be like, that's OK. And, and it's like,
2: OK. One, one day I may delight in not being a very good sure. or play and just have one out that I dink around with.
0: Yeah. You know? Well, Jeff Taylor, is, uh, I love talking to Jeff Taylor because he'll throw out something. He's like, oh, yeah, I just picked this up, you know, and he's an older gentleman, you know, yeah. but he, he'll say, like, I picked this up like five years ago and then he'll play it for you. And you're just like. Oh, are you the best in the world at that?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I think he is, yes.
0: Jennifer Taylor wants to know how you would handle a spider situation. No reason, just curious. A spider situation? Yeah, she's not uh, panicking or anything currently. Uh, <laughs> which makes me think she has a spider. <laughs> if you see a spider in the house, are you a kill it or are I'm you a, a catch and release guy?
2: Like, if, if it's in my house, I kill it. But it's, if it's outside the
0: house, then it's, it's oh, well, uh, it's in its own name.
2: domain. Yeah, but I don't, I don't hesitate. Right now, it's ladybugs. That's the issue. Do you right? guys get those here? Yes, and yeah. uh, stink
0: bugs. Are oh,
2: also... those stink bugs were terrible this year. Off, oh, oh, like we have terrible. to literally on shop vac the ladybugs out of our house because they're so oh, many. that bad. Yeah,
0: it's terrible. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, uh, we always do a little lightning round, and this can be as short and as okay. brief as you want before uh, to end the show. Uh, do you have a surprising musical influence that people don't know about? Extreme. Really? Yeah. The uh, the 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 band Extreme. If you guys <laughs> don't know
2: out there, that their most popular song was uh, More Than Words. Yeah. Which which is what got me into the band because it was such an easy kind of fun guitar part mm-hmm. to play and. A lot of lot of dudes saying that with their friend to their girlfriend. Totally. Uh, when I was in high school, and so, but that led me to their records, which were these really. I mean, I wish we had time to tell this story, but, but I, we have N- as much time as you as you Nuno want. Nuno Betancourt right, was the electric uh-huh. guitar player for Extreme, one of the best guitar players in the world. Like their music had this kind of Queen, really melodic, amazing yeah. orchestral rock and roll thing going. And their lyrics were always really subversive. So, like, there was a the record that More Than Words was on was called Pornography, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember that song called Pornography on it. And when I was a preacher's kid, little goody two shoes kid, I was really (laughs) drawn to the music. But I felt like I can't let my dad find this record. No, this is terrible. What I didn't realize was that they were actually believers, and that they were writing the songs as. Uh, Satire, Mm. like they were, they were kind of pointing out the fact that this is screwed up. It's hard to explain to parents, and it hard hard for a sixteen year old kid to understand, right? That there was oh, everything's literal, everything, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. So I just thought these guys are terrible. But then they would sing about (laughs) Jesus sometimes, so I was like, what what is this about? I I can't reconcile these two things. And and uh, so the older I got, the more I realized how sophisticated their music was. And so uh, so they finally released an album called Three Sides to Every Story, and it's. An amazing album. It's a concept record, uh, and the concept is the the three sides to every story is there's your side, my side, and the truth. Mm-hmm. So the first half of the record is your side, so it tended to be a lot of uh, um, kind of um, political war stuff. And then the middle of the record was my side, which is more questioning, doubting God's existence. And side three, the last several songs, st- oh, it opens with the dream of da- Daniel's vision of. Uh, you know the king and the statue and all yeah. this kind of stuff, and then it ends with this beautiful, like, tying ties all of the early songs together in this one big, massive, amazing moment at the end, and that's totally the template for the "Behold the Lamb of God" record. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Have like, you ever have you ever
0: put that together? Before I, I, have, said I that out loud? I've mentioned it before? to
2: people. I've never like said it in an. That's like, hilarious, before, but but like it, it was such it a moving sense. record. So if 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 anybody wants like to to. Uh, I dare anybody to listen to three sides to every story from start to finish, like with headphones and not feel something because like, the end of it is just magnificent, I think. And so even if you don't like the beginning of it, but so anyway, so extreme is this like kind of amazing rock and roll band, um, that most people don't realize that the Gary Sharon, the lead singer, and mm. you know, we believers in some, they're from Boston. So right. their version of that looks different than my Bible. It's a bit more abrasive look, probably. Version of it, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so I finally, I, I got to meet Gary Sharon at a show. Oh, no way. Uh, when I was in Bible college and was like zealous and super legalistic. And I was like, uh, I was like, so are you a Christian? And he was like, yeah. Like in the crowd at the club, he was just kind of like, yeah, actually I am. And I was like, so why do you use the S word on that one song? <laughs> and uh, not really realizing how remarkable it is that this guy from Boston, of all places, is singing about Jesus, you know, right. he, even if his language is different than what I would choose. And so he got really serious. We had this fan, fascinating conversation after the show of this club in in, um, in Jacksonville, Florida. And so about uh, three months later, I mean, I was geeking out that I got to meet sure, the sure. singer of Extreme. And about three months later, uh, in Bible college, our my my roommate. Finds me and says, Gary Sharon just left a message on our voicemail. And oh, like, no. we run and we listen, and there's that we push the button, and it's this voicemail tape where he says, Hey guys, uh, it's Gary Sharon. Um, I think you guys are in the band from the Bible college. You gave me your card, and I just wanted to call and thank you for the fellowship and the rebuke the other night. It was really good because I don't get to hang out with Christians very often.
0: Wow. Isn't that amazing?
2: Like, we couldn't believe it. And so about a week later, he called again, and we actually got to talk to him and like had this fascinating conversation where he was telling us he was thinking about quitting the band and going to Dallas Theological Seminary. And, wow. And about two years later, he was the lead singer of Van Halen.
0: <laughs> no. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's somewhat different than that's Dallas. That's kind of Bob- crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Theological Seminary. And so that
2: didn't last long. But I, I mean, I think he's still got a band out there called like Tribe of Judah or something.
0: Um, but Dude, those guys, you are amazing, should, so. you should try to work your magic and make a tour happen.
2: Uh, well, I've actually tried to work. Th- I've thought about working, trying to work some kind of like angle and get him to sing on a record, but he wouldn't, re- he, there's a tiny chance that he would go. I kind of remember talking to this nerdy boy. Maybe. Yeah. 15. Years Having
0: me the guest on the Christmas tour. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I have no idea how happy that makes my heart right now. Anyway. All right. Lightning round. Uh, do you remember your first celebrity crush as a kid? Alyssa Milano. Classic. Was it, was it, uh, it had to be Who's the Boss, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah.
2: My, my little sisters had Bop Magazine. Do you remember? Of course, that? yeah. So Kirk Cameron. I mean, what? I don't always, know what you're talking yeah. about. <laughs> Kirk Cameron and all these like heartthrobs. And I'm uh-huh. like, oh, yeah, let me see the stupid little Bop Magazine. What I was really doing is looking for pictures of Alyssa Milano to tear out of <laughs> the
0: magazine. Uh, what do you associate with the name Keith? Uh, my friend Keith Bordeaux,
2: who works for Compassion International.
0: Nice, I love how quickly you're really you're, you're nailing these. Uh, do you have, have you ever had a favorite number? Four. Do you have a reason behind that?
2: Uh, well, the, it, it always looked like a kind number to me. Like I really did have a thing where
0: numbers looked either sinister or totally something appealing. Uh, I associate colors to them for some reason. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Four yeah, blue, which is a really like
2: welcoming color. Interesting. Yeah, that's yeah. weird. And so, uh, yeah, I was always drawn to the number four, but then my birthday. Is on a fourth and mm. in 1974. And I remember my mom saying, Oh, there's a lot of fourths in our family. <laughs> I was like, What do you mean? And she goes, Well, I was born in 1944 on November 4th, and your grandfather was born in 1904 on November 4th, and your grandmother was born in 1914 on October 4th, and you're June 4th, in 1974. So it's always and wow. So my, my pin number for my ATM is
0: four, 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 four. I'm just kidding. Good to That's know. Really I bad. will tweet a picture of his debit card later. <laughs> uh, what is your first memory of the internet?
2: Oh, wow. That's uh, look, go, going to my library in Bible college mm-hmm. because it was a big deal. The internet had just come to our school mm-hmm. and they had some computers that it you was, could use. It was on
0: tour. They had just come to, the, to Florida. <laughs> yeah,
2: <right. laughs> they had computers,
0: uh, that we could use
2: for research quote unquote, mm-hmm. uh, but it was me looking up Rich Mullins tour dates, um, because there was a Rich Mullins website, So I think he's still the guy that does it now, um, Wow! Start, I was put together a Rich Mullins website, and I was obsessed with him, and he was touring a lot at the time, and so I was always just desperate to see him play, yeah. so I spent a lot of time online looking for his shows.
0: I think one of my first things I ever went to once I realized like I remember my my dad worked at a college and their their school got it uh-huh. and I was in his office and he was like there it is type whatever you want in I think one of the first, I started looking up bands that I liked music uh-huh. that I liked seeing if they were coming anywhere I was like wow oh because I remember that's one of the first times I remember because I'm a liner note reader and I would I remember start to see you know you start to see websites popping up and like, yeah right. you know on, on liner how notes how old and, are you again so I'm thirty two okay so yeah. I, I so the internet is in the capacity that is in our homes and stuff is really only about 15 years old. Right. So, but, so but you, it is takes such advances from then, uh-huh. you know, to now it's, it's just interesting to ask people what their first memory is. Cause it's changed so much. And, also, yeah. and I remember I, I had a, a 19 year old on the podcast and asked her and it was just like, my mom's iPhone was, I was like, never, mind, I forget this. It's <laughs> invalid. This question's invalid <laughs> for you because yeah, no, no, there's no, <laughs> okay. We always end the show and uh, I'm excited to hear what you're going to say about this. By uh, the guest sharing a memorable in a, 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 a bad show story or a memorable embarrassing yeah. something, it could be your fault, it could be the venue's fault. Something that happened on stage to you, or uh, there was oh, that, that sticks out. If somebody was writing a book of bad shows stories, yeah, what there, would you contribute? There have been a lot. I was saying specifically. I talked to him this morning. Was like, I want to hear what this is going to be for him.
2: Yeah, I well the the worst show story that, uh, that is kind of the obvious one is. Uh, It was me and Ben Shive and a guy named Justin McRoberts. Sure. Um, We did a little Northwest tour. And so we had flown up to like Portland or something and had about five shows all around Washington State and Oregon and stuff. And the routing was really, really bad. So we ended up driving. Have you ever been up there, the the Columbia River Mm -hmm. Gorge? It's this, like, once you drive. East from Portland and like the pretty part of Seattle and stuff. Yeah. Like those, before you get to the Cascades and the the big Rockies, it's just this barren, kind of high desert, depressing thing. And the shows Hmm. were about five hours from each other every day on the same road. So we had to make that same miserable drive like five times. So we were worn out by the end of it and, and it had lost its luster. And so we finally went to some show up there where the promoter had rented an enormous lighting rig. Um, you know, full on rock and roll lights uh, in this big church building and a huge sound system. And, and you've probably had this feeling before you can see on the promoter's face when you pull up, whether or not it's going to be a good show.
0: Yep. And you get the thing where they say,
2: yeah, just, just, we're really hoping it's going to be great tonight. If
0: an an apology comes out, if they're like, oh man, you guys should have been here last night. Yeah.
2: Or there's a football game in town tonight. Have you gotten that one? Yes. We're always like, okay. And really it's okay for those of you guys listening out there. It's like, we, we're gonna have fun at the show. We don't regardless. expect to be yeah. the
0: the thing that shuts the town down. Right. We're not exactly. Texas football, so
2: it's not a big <laughs> deal. But it is a little disheartening when sure. the first thing out of the person's mouth is, "Gosh, well, we were really hoping this would be a." Anyway, so we we pull up and the guy said, "I've only pre-sold six tickets, <laughs> and oh, uh, wow. and four of those are my family, and <laughs> so uh, <laughs> so we did the show in this enormous." Big lighting rig, you know this church building, and there were six six people there, and only two of them were like from the outside. The the other four were like from. the So there stand. really were only six because sometimes pre sales aren't indicative right. of the whole show. This time it was. There were oh, six no. people, and so we had talked before the show. We were all kind of going like, "This is going to be the most uncomfortable night ever." So let's let's invite that. Let's do this. Let's forget the sound system. Let's put a bunch of chairs on the stage, and we'll just invite. The guys out there on the stage to come sit on the stage with us. We'll leave the lights on and the sound system on, but we'll just kind of hang out and make the best of this. And we're like, yeah, that'd be really cool if you were going to a show and the right. artist said, come up, sit on the stage with us. We're just going to talk. And we'll play whatever songs you want. And uh, we did the first song with the system and the lights. And after the first song's over, I was like, hey guys, how's it going? They're sitting on the front row. <laughs> I was like, hey, we kind of decided that it would be fun to, for you guys to just come up on the stage and do it. And the guy, the the of the two people that didn't know the promoter he goes no (laughs) and i said no no no. it'll it'll be really fun like you should you should come up on the stage you'll be like we're just gonna kind of and he goes we don't want to and it got really uncomfortable and then i got upset i was like man we're trying to like give you a memory here and like, come on, you can come up on the stage. It's going to be okay. It was like, man, we don't stop it. We don't want to come up. So so it turned into this like argument between me and the guy in the front row. And I, and I said something, this is really awful that I'm telling you this, but I said something like, you know, you don't have to be here, I guess, you know, if this is this bad for you, you can, and he goes, okay. And they left. No. So then it was just me and the, us and the the four promoter people. So it was really bad. Like I, I kind of like, my heart was just, uh sinned greatly that night but it, but it was just kind of like <laughs> so frustrating that we're like we're tr- yeah, we're trying yeah. to like give you a memory and we like want this to be here. a good night for you and too and he just that guy was not having any of it and he left
0: like second song that is amazing out. so it was uh that i want to know that guy's story show. yeah really <laughs> that guy clearly came in with something on his shoulder and he yeah. oh my gosh that is horrific so I think and sometimes, hilarious
2: sometimes the uh so yeah i think even if you were to ask ben what was your worst show? He would probably go, "Oh, it was this one show in in Portland, Oregon." You know? <laughs> so then we end up doing the show with nobody on the stage, but for the four people, and, and then it was probably fun. Yeah, you know? it was it was all right. But I think the the promoter um, sometimes people will book a show and they think that they that's all they have to do. Right. You got absolutely. Like, well, no. If you I have was, to tell people yeah if i was david bowie maybe that would be the case
0: <laughs> that's true yeah i was like it, might, it must be nice to be in a band that you could play in the middle of the desert and and, and people will come for yeah. some reason people would find out yeah. like the, the 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 earth would cry out right. and and promote you for you <laughs> but until then you got to tell people right right yeah well thank you so much for taking the time to come over yeah, and, and hang out it's good to hang out with you that's it for episode 61 please check out andrew peterson's career retrospective after all these years available on itunes now uh as as well as his past records uh i think if you enjoyed what you heard today you really enjoy those uh if you're listening to this in december uh of 2014 although i'm assuming any december will do uh you can go to andrew-peterson.com look at his tour dates because he's taking his much beloved behold the lamb of god christmas record on tour yet again uh it's a yearly tradition and if you haven't seen it then you absolutely need to it's an amazing way to spend an evening to get into the holiday spirit uh the tour features artists such as Andy gullihorn uh, jill phillips Uh, Thad Cockrell and uh, more Just an amazing evening of music for sure Great way, great way to spend an evening Uh, And also if you're in Oklahoma City or Little Rock uh, Come to a show and see me and Stacey Lance this weekend uh, December 12th and 13th So, and if if you're listening to this in the future uh, Then, you know, disregard all this But thank you for listening nonetheless uh, And for episode 61 and Who Writes This Stuff I'm Nick Flora Go to something creative Bye.